Now, some kids come into the world and they can actually manage a fair amount of emotion stress, if you will. They're easy to get calmed down. There's a lot of kids out there who have very low frustration tolerance. So whenever their body gets all keyed up in response to stress, they start falling apart. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. So how's it going with your kids? You feel close? Maybe there's some distance. Power struggles going on? Little rebellion? Feel like you're always disciplining? Well, today we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more. Our topic, Parenting Extra Effort Kids. I could show you how I'm not who I was I used to be mad at you A little on the hurt side too But I'm not who I was I found my way around to forgiving you Some time ago But I never got to tell you Welcome back to Life, Love, and Family. Hi, this is Dr. Tim Clinton. Today, it's all about our kids. The scripture says this, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. I'll tell you what, it seems like everything is working against our parenting today. And being or staying close with our kids, it's a challenge. But there isn't anything more important in all the world than pouring ourselves into our children. Our topic today, Parenting Extra Effort Kids. Our special guest, Dr. Gary Sipsey. He's a licensed clinical psychologist, a professional counselor, and a marriage and family therapist. He's in clinical practice with the Piedmont Psychiatric Center here in Lynchburg, Virginia. He's also associate professor and director of the doctoral program at Liberty University. He heads the program in professional counseling. Gary, it's always great to have you here on Life, Love, and Family. Oh, Tim, it's my pleasure. Gary, as we get started, uh, let's define extra effort kids because a lot of parents are raising their hands. Wait, I've got one. Who are we talking to today, Gary? There's a lot that goes into uh, what we think about an extra effort kid. You know, on one extreme, it can be a child who really struggles with behavioral control. So you've got a lot of compliance issues, a lot of rebellion, and a lot of times difficulty controlling their anger and blowing up at people and having meltdowns. That's one end of the continuum. And then, you know, you got other kids who are bouncing all over the place and they got too much energy or, you know, they're sort of flittering around and can't really focus on anything, especially stuff that needs to get done. If they're playing a video game, they're tuned in pretty well, but, you know, you put them on a chore and they get distracted pretty easy. You know, on the other end of the spectrum are kids who are, you know, kind of overwhelmed by the world. They're anxious. They worry a lot. They avoid things. They get overwhelmed by life and experience. And they may have real difficulties sort of with friends, making friends, or feeling comfortable around people. And they tend to do a lot of avoidance kind of behaviors, and that can be pretty stressful for parents too. They're not usually behavioral problems, you know, where they're giving you a lot of rebellious attitude that you have to deal with as a parent, but they just are really hard to get them to try new things and and to kind of get them to get interested in the world in a way. So that's kind of covering the broad field of kids that parents may call extra effort. Gary, do you think parenting's changed today? 
I mean, is it tougher raising our kids in this day and time versus, say, 20, 30 years ago? Certainly seems like the pace and the pressure and the pain, the craziness has escalated a notch or two, but what do you think? Well, I think there's definitely some bigger challenges, uh, it seems, to raising families, raising kids today. I mean, probably when our parents grew up, they, as kids, we didn't have so many different things influencing us from all this different stuff you get exposed to at school to on TV and now the whole digital age, all those things can really work against, you know, what you're trying to work on with your kids. And, you know, and then just as our society goes, our parents probably weren't being carted around by their parents from soccer game to baseball game to, you know, the next uh, event on the schedule. It was a pretty simple kind of schedule to their day and their existence. So I think those are unique challenges in some ways. They're great. Kids get exposed to a lot more and can do a lot more than they ever used to be able to do. But on the other hand, it's a real challenge. Gary, let's say Johnny shows up in your office. All right. Here's little Johnny. He's brought in by mom. They've got some pain going on between the two of them, obviously, that brought them there. Do you start by looking at Johnny? Do you start by looking at mom and her practices, family practices? Where do you begin? Well, it's a great question. So a lot of times if parents are bringing Johnny to me, there's something that's going on with him that is obviously a big concern. It takes a lot for a parent to decide, all right, I'm I'm taking Junior to counseling here. So one of the things that we do, I mean, we're going to look at what's going on with Johnny on an individual level. You know, I mean, one of the things that we're interested in are some basic skills that kids come into the world. And this is a key point. We have thought for so long that at one level, all kids come into the world with the same kind of skill sets when it comes to emotional and behavioral regulation. But in reality, there's a lot of differences in what kids actually can do. And I'll talk about what some of those are in a few minutes. And then there's the issue of how well does this child's unique challenges and strengths fit with what the parent brings to the table. You know, if you have a child who really craves lots of sensory experience, they have lots of energy and lots of curiosity, and they need a lot to sort of keep them interested and engaged. And you have a parent who's kind of low energy, high stress, and she doesn't have a lot in the gas tank, and she's got several other things going on with her other children. You know, they, they don't necessarily mix that well. So sometimes we're looking at how well do they fit in terms of their temperament. I know a lot of parents will will raise questions, Gary, like, wait a second, we've got Joey at home. He's a perfect kid. Right. Johnny, listen, same home, absolutely out of control. There's nothing we can do. It's like insanity. Craziness has kicked in. And we don't don't know what we've done wrong with, uh, with Johnny. Right. So that really highlights exactly what a lot of us carry around in terms of our thinking, that there's one way to parent And every child sort of should fit into that. Our oldest child has done great with the way that we parent. Right. Which probably because it's a good match. And we like him. We actually like him. Right. Johnny, we're not so sure we even like this boy. Exactly. So you get a child who comes into the world who's got some of these 
underlying skill deficits and your parenting practices just don't match what this child brings to the table. We call these pyramid skills, all right? These are underlying cognitive brain-based capacities. Let me hit a couple of them. And, And as a parent, if you're listening to this, you might ask yourself, how well does my child actually have this skill down? Okay. Think of a pyramid at the bottom row or the bottom level of the pyramid is really the foundation. If it starts to crack, then the rest of the pyramid can crumble pretty quickly. So the first skill set that we're looking at for kids is emotion regulation and especially frustration tolerance. Now, some kids come into the world and they can actually manage a fair amount of emotion stress, if you will, and they're easy to get calmed down. There's a lot of kids out there who have very low frustration tolerance. So whenever their body gets all keyed up in response to stress, they start falling apart. You know, they start crying, they get angry, and their ability to sort of regulate themselves starts to crumble. Now, so you've got to ask yourself, does my child have low frustration tolerance or poor frustration tolerance? Because... It's a really core skill. If it starts to crumble, then some of these other ones start to fall apart. Uh, Gary, help us out for a moment. When should I start being concerned about this? Is it the terrible twos? Are we talking about five-year-olds? Are we talking about going into school? Are we talking about breaking out of elementary school? Where are the red flags popping? It's a good question because, you know, how much emotion regulation, frustration, tolerance should a kid have kind of depends on their age. So we recognize that terrible twos and three-year-olds and four-year-olds don't have a great deal of it. But if your four-year-old is having a meltdown at every little transition in the day uh, and any break in that transition or anything doesn't go the way they want and they really fall apart, that's probably a difficulty. You know, usually when kids have problems with frustration tolerance, it starts early. You see that their ability to deal with frustration and to get calmed down when they do get upset is off target early. And then this actually, they don't necessarily grow out of it. It continues to affect them in other age levels. You can see some changes in frustration tolerance with a kid who's done really well, and then they get really stressed by something going on. And, you know, you can see it, you know, they lose that ability some. But for the most part, it's a developmental skill, not necessarily something that a kid will just totally lose. Mom can pretty much tell you yes or no. We've got, we've got a problem. Absolutely. And, you know, they're either gauging it against what their other kids have done or they see other kids do. And occasionally moms have inappropriate expectations, you know, where they think that their child should be a completely perfect. Yeah. But at the next level, though, then are the social skills. And this has to do, when we talk about social skills, is can your child actually make good eye contact and do sort of all that nonverbal signaling? When they get upset, they actually can stay engaged with you so that you can have a back and forth interaction with them, right? So some kids are really good at this. They get upset, they can stay tuned in, and you can still engage them somewhat. But other kids, they're not very good at it at all. So when they start to get upset, their ability to sort of stay tuned into you and engage you in a back-and-forth way, that starts to go away. So that creates even more problems. So, you know, if you've got a child with low frustration tolerance, plus they're not good at sort of staying tuned in when they get upset, this becomes a bigger issue. And then kids also begin to distance themselves from him or her, too. Exactly. Like it feeds on itself. Yeah, it starts to feed on itself. And, and then these kids feel like they're lost or very alone. Right. It creates more problems because they get disconnected on a more permanent level from friends and family and 
But on a developmental level, you're, we're always asking the question is how well does this child use relationships to help regulate their mood? Can they do that or not? But it also has another side of social skills is how well does your child understand, this is an age-appropriate way, the way that their behavior affects other people, right? So this is a huge social skill. In an interesting way, kids are not very good at making these kind of calculations. Either they are totally oblivious to it, you know, when a child's sitting at the table and he's bouncing around and interrupting everybody when they're trying to eat or have a conversation, they're not actually very good at reading other people's sort of irritation and annoyance unless they're screaming at them. But going to the other end of the spectrum is that kids also tend to misread people's moods. A lot of times kids will take uh, a parent's anger and irritability about work stress and kind of personalize it and feel like it's because of them. Part of what we're trying to figure out is how well are they good at reading social information. Okay. Move up. The next capacity is cognitive flexibility. Fancy term for basically when you're flexible, you can see the world in shades of gray. Not everything has to be just the right way. The more rigid you are, then the more you look at the world in a black and white, all or nothing, either or, I win, you lose kind of fashion. So these kids have great difficulty dealing with change, not just big change, but also day-to-day change. Most of the problems that parents are going to be complaining about, in this case, mom brings Johnny in and he's having behavioral problems and meltdowns and he's just very moody and difficult to get along with, many of the times that's going to occur around transition points in their day, getting up, getting ready, eating, getting on the bus, getting off the bus, going from play to homework, homework to bed, all those kind of situations become the trigger points for low frustration tolerance and then battles start coming up. So really important piece is these kids don't shift gears very well, especially if shifting gears from something they like to don't like is involved. Some kids have these skills better than others. I mean, in the same way that you have kids who are born athletes. So you'd say there's a nature and nurture piece in here. Like kids have personality and temperaments from the womb. You can pretty much tell inner uterine development, man, this kid is wild. (laughs) That's right. Or this is going to be, I don't know, unique. Emotion regulation, check. Social skill problem, check. Cognitive inflexibility, check. You're talking about my kid. Two more. Let me, I'll just hit them real quick. Yeah, do it. Language processing. This isn't how big their vocabulary it is, but can they tell you what's bugging them? So you get upset. Can you use words to describe? What's wrong? I don't know. I don't know. And where they'll cuss at you or spit at you. The ability to put words on what you want, need, feel, what's bugging you is absolutely crucial at a brain level because if you can't put words on it, then you certainly can't go to the next skill, which is the highest on the pyramid, which is problem solving. You can't solve problems if you don't know what they are. So a lot of times parents, you know, they're like, what's bugging you? What's wrong? And, you know, and their child is just unable to really put it out there. And they're just slamming doors and throwing things right. and screaming and, and running to the room. Right. And so when parents view these problems as purely intentional and willful, 
then that's going to pull out of you. Frustration. Yeah, frustration and parenting styles that tend to be more what we call motivational-based parenting. In other words, if your child's doing this because he's just trying to get attention or he's just trying to manipulate you simply, then using motivational kind of parenting, which is taking things away, doing timeouts. But with kids who are, if we say, extra effort kids, don't respond to what we call normal good old-fashioned parenting. Your first child, you know, junior is just great. If he pulled something like this, you'd take away his PlayStation for a week and give him some extra chores, and he gets it. But the extra effort kids, they don't learn from their experiences this way. So as a parent, you're likely to think, oh, well, I must not be doing it enough. Let me crank it up a little bit. (laughs) Gary, let me stop right here real quick. What would you say to the listener who's tuning in saying, "Uh uh-uh, let me tell you boys something. Not in my house. We'll straighten this out right now. What you're saying is you don't really straighten it out. Well, you know, I tell parents, if you say, um, we're going to straighten this out right now, and whatever method that you use to straighten it out, if that works, you're not going to come to see me. Does that make sense? So I, I'm only getting parents who have already tried everything up and down the line. So extra effort kids are the kids who don't respond typically to your normal parenting. And if you are pretty confident in the parenting skills you've got or what you learned and you're trying everything you've got in the bag and it's not working, it's not because you have an especially bad child or you're an especially bad parent. A lot of times it's that you don't necessarily have the skill set as a parent to address these underlying challenges your kid brings to the table. In the same way that if you're a pretty good reader, you got a, a doctoral degree or a master's degree, and you're trying to teach your kid how to read, and they're just not getting it. Usually we go, that's not because I'm not good at teaching him how to read or he's just lazy. They may have What a, we're doing isn't working. Right. Well, he may have an underlying learning disability, a processing problem, and we've got to be able to address that. We don't expect that parents should just know how to do it. That's the reason we try to work on giving them some extra skills and some extra ways of addressing these issues so you can actually help your child learn how to acquire these skills. Where the typical assumption that we bring into parenting is that my kid already has these skills. All I have to do is enforce them in a way. And what we're saying is, yeah, there are kids who come into the world who are actually are very easy. They get the pyramid. They get these pyramid skills by just normal life experience. But there's a lot of other kids, the extra effort ones, that don't get it that way. And you'll probably have to learn some additional skills as a parent to help move them along the line. Gary, so what you're saying is I've got to develop a more keen awareness of my child and how to parent them, how to discipline them, how to connect with them. Yeah, sometimes parents are so frustrated, they say, you know, once they get a chance, I just don't like them. I can't stand to be around them. Well, now that's important. Kids pick up on that. Oh, yeah, man, they're going to read it. So our first set of interventions is going to be trying to help repair that relationship some, because typically what it's gotten out of kilter. You know, there's just a bunch of yelling and screaming. And it's hard for parents because they say, oh, I love them to death. I'll do anything. I, I don't doubt that. But kids don't read that very well. What they read is your mood or your basic stance toward them. So you and I have talked about and have written about ways to help parents start to repair the relationship. That's sometimes the first place to start. So finding, you know, sometimes there can be things that have challenged that, like you've gotten so spread out with your time and energy 
that to find a 10 or 15 minute time frame where you can have just one-to-one time with this child doing something that's not related to homework or teaching them something. It's just hanging out with them for short periods of time can be a really important starting place. Because usually in these type of situations, Gary, most of the interaction between parent and child is negative. That's right. That's right. And so the parent's only seeing the child when they're being a stinker and the child's only seeing the parent when they're angry and frustrated. So we got to try to change the context and we use some parenting skills like, you know, working on finding a 15-minute time slot each day or at least three or four times a week where you can do one-to-one time with them. There's some more stuff that we have you do, but being able to actually find that in your schedule and your time and your energy and in your schedule to make that happen can be absolutely essential for us to move forward. Even if my child's out of control that day, I still need to put 15, 20 minutes a day into them? Exactly. Sometimes that seems counterintuitive, but remember, we're talking about you know how relationships work, right? Sometimes I'll say to a spouse, imagine that, you know, you and your spouse are sort of not getting along very well and you don't like what they're doing. And so you say, hey, we're not going to spend any time together till you get your act together. That usually doesn't go over very well. Or we think about a relationship with the Lord. Uh, the Lord doesn't require us to have our act totally together before we come to him, you know, that we come to him and rest in our relationship with him, and then that changes our behavior. Sometimes this can be an important first step. It's not the only step, but an important first step for getting the ball underway, that we want to be able to let our kids know that my relationship with you is not contingent on whether or not you and I are getting along. And that's a real important first step for bringing the relationship into a better place. As we've always said, you know, rules with relationship lead to respect, but rules without relationship always lead to rebellion. Okay, Gary, we're fighting the clock here. Relationship repair is intentional. So I've got to get back and connected with my son or my daughter so that they know that my heart is toward them, that regardless, no matter what, Gary, what's the next most significant thing I've got to do with my extra effort kid? The next set of skills that we teach parents is to sort of narrow your line of focus a little bit. You probably have 10 or 15, maybe 20 things about your child that are bugging you, and you want to fix all of them at one time. What we try to do is say, look, let's try to narrow this thing down and let's work on three or four. You know, so if you've got one of these kids who, you know, just sitting at the table and not getting up and getting the homework is all you can get done in a day, you might need for now to temporarily set aside your desire for them to do three or four chores a day and clean up their room and various other things. You need to set those aside for right now and start focusing on two or three, maybe four things, but usually two or three things that you want to work on. And that's important because as parents, we can get kind of rigid and inflexible and say, no, it's got to be all or none, and that's not going to work out. And then, depending on what it is, that we want to start getting you know, junior to engage around this problem, away from the problem. So if one of the big areas of concern you have is, you know, whenever they're watching TV, he and his sister are watching TV together, and sister tries to change the TV channel, he gets up in her face and intimidates her and starts being aggressive. Well, 
we want to be able to talk about this problem and what, how he handles it away from the problem itself. So you got to find a time, whether you're riding in the car with them or maybe it's after you've done some of the special time stuff that we talked and say, hey, listen, let's talk about what happens when your sister does this, right? And he's going to say, well, you know, she ticks me off and makes me mad that she would change my show. And she's, and you're saying, well, you know, hey, listen, I get that. I don't have a problem with you being angry about that, but here's what you do, right? You get up in her face and you put your hands on her, and that's not okay in our home. You can get angry about something, but that doesn't mean you can hurt people or intimidate them. So what's another way that we can deal with this situation? Now, this conversation is going to go a lot further with them than it would if you wait until the problem comes up, everybody's ticked off, sister's crying, and then you're trying to do a problem-solving event with them. That's going to crash and burn. But when you have it away from the event, now we're actually getting a chance to work on all these skills that we're talking about independently, you know, in a way that he doesn't normally get a chance to work on it. So teaching parents how to teach their child to engage in in this type of collaborative problem solving is absolutely crucial. Even if you don't even come up with great solutions in these situations, they provide just incredible opportunity for your child's brain to do something that he's not getting much chance to work on outside. What we tell parents is, right, just like there are certain kids that you don't have to even do batting practice and they get it. You can just you know, show them how to hold the bat, throw a ball at them, and bam, they hit it. Their nervous system doesn't need this extra challenge. But for a lot of these kids, extra special, you know, challenging kids, their brains don't do this stuff. Everybody else's does okay, but they don't. So they're going to need actual practice at doing it. So we work at helping parents figure out how to do that. You know, it is a challenge, and if as a parent you're listening to this and you go, man, I don't know if I can do this. This sounds like it's too much. I would say, well, we don't expect that you should, to be honest with you. And most of us have not learned how to address these kind of skill challenges in our kids. And we have been walking around feeling kind of guilty, thinking, man, what's wrong with me? I must be a bad parent, when in fact you just don't have the skills to address this, but you can learn them. And when you learn them, then you can begin to work with your child on learning how to sort of move up this developmental path, develop these skills, and catch up with the other kids. Our special guest today has been Dr. Gary Sipsey. Our topic, Parenting Extra Effort Kids. Gary, just a quick final word. Well, if you're a parent out there and you know, you've got a child that has some of these skill challenges, listen to some of the things that we talked about today and ask yourself, do they have these challenges? And the good news is that there's some definite help out there for you and for your child. And don't just hope that they'll just go away. Definitely seek some wisdom. You might start in your church. You might start with some local counselor that you know and trust and get some ideas about how do you progress and get the kind of help that you need. And, uh, and there's definitely hope. That I can see the fingerprints of God. So how about you and your family? That distance, those power struggles, that rebellion, if it's there, it's there. 
It just means we need to do something about it. There's great news. You know what? You can change all that. And listen to this. Every kid needs at least one person in his or her life who's crazy about him. Mom and or dad, that needs to be you. Nobody's going to love your kids like you do. So let's get back to doing what needs to be done. That's what this is all about. If we can be of help to you and you want to learn about our resources, visit our website at lifeloveandfamily.net. That website again, life, love, and family.net. Our toll-free number, 855-455-3264. Thanks for listening. Life, Love, and Family. America's number one Christian residential treatment program, Honey Lake Clinic. Specializing in addiction, depression, anxiety, bipolar, PTSD. Staffed by nationally recognized psychiatrists and psychologists. A team of MDs and 24-hour nursing care. A 600-acre scenic sanctuary of unmatched beauty. Honey Lake Clinic. Most insurance accepted. Scholarships available. Phone 844-747-7772. Online, honeylake.clinic.